Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church at truthmatterschurch.org. Revelation gives us a vivid picture of Christ as he appeared to the Apostle John. Is this magnificent description just poetry, or does it tell us important facts about our Lord and his appearing? Pastor Alex explores this as we continue our verse-by-verse study of Revelation here at Truth Matters Church. So we will continue our study in the book of Revelation, and we find ourselves in Revelation 1, verse 14. And the title of our study today, which is pretty much the essence of what we're going to be covering, we're going to be taking a look at the glorified Son of Man, the title of this message, because that's who John sees in vision when we get to this portion of the text. And I do want to say this, for some of us, we've probably read Revelation, and Sometimes it seems just like fancy apocalyptic writing, kind of like poetry. You know, when you read it, you know, his, his eyes and his hair were like white, like wool, and his feet were like burnished bronze, and, you know, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, and we're like, wow, it's just pretty, pretty neat apocalyptic poetry. That's how I've kind of read it. But what we've been doing, and what we're going to continue to do, and we've done this, especially in our Daniel series, is we're going to use our principles, our rules of engagement that we set out before us. And primarily, we're going to use Scripture with Scripture. And I do want to say this. If there is anyone teaching you the book of Revelation, and they don't go to the Old Testament, they cannot teach you Revelation. I'm going to say that again. If you're doing a Revelation study, and someone, let's just say, sticks with the New Testament, let's say from the church forward, and then you're going to try to teach Revelation just focused on the New Testament, there's just no way. There's no way. You're making up your own stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to use all of Scripture. And what we're going to find is Scripture does give us more information, more truth. Here's what I found. In this study, when John is describing the glorified Son of Man, he's also communicating a message, at least primarily to the seven churches. And we're going to see through Scripture, with using Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, on what message is being communicated. What we're also going to find in our study is as John is seeing the glorified Son of Man, And he sees him in a white robe to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And he goes on to describe his features of this glorified Son of Man. What we're going to find is that when John is describing the glorified Son of Man, he is describing him, he's using terms and descriptions that is consistent with God's high priest. Here's another thing. When he also describes him, and he kind of looks at him from head to toe, he's also describing him as judge. And we're going to see, you know, what what is also being communicated in this vision. But we're going to find, at least primarily, when he's describing this glorified Son of Man, he's communicating a message to the seven churches. And I'm going to say this, at least from the outset, the primary context, and this is also keeps me from 
going all over the place. This letter was written to the seven churches. Let me ask you a question. Who was the book of Ephesians written to? The believers in Ephesus. What if I say, no, it's written to me. It's written to TMC in Rockland. That's kind of a bit of a stretch, isn't it? How about um, Timothy? Who was Timothy written to? How come, when it comes to kind of those examples, it's pretty kind of silly. Why is it when we get to the book of Revelation, all of a sudden it's open game? And it means every church. It was written to the seven churches that first century. That said, there are truths and prophecies to those churches that gives us a view into God's redemptive will and plan. And that's what we're going to try to glean off of, especially when it comes to the study of end times. But in these letters to the seven churches, it's communicating a message as we're going to find out, and it's going to come with it blessing and cursing. And when John is describing this glorified Son of Man, just know that he's also communicating that he is ready to come as priest, as judge, and he's ready to bring blessing and cursing. That's what's going to be communicated here, and we're going to see it from the pages of Scripture. So with that, um, let's begin the reading of our text, and we will read verse 9 through verse 20. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, one had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So with the concluding of the reading of our text, let's begin to exposit our text, but we'll begin in verse 14. Remember, when we read it on the surface, it just sounds like fancy apocalyptic writing. But we're going to look at it. We're going to look at examples in the Old Testament on what these terms are associated with, what's communicated there, and what's the message. Got it? So let's look at verse 14. Verse 14. 
His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. So John in this vision, he turns, right, and he sees the glorified Jesus, and he, when you, when you, when you kind of read it, he starts from the top. He looks at his head and his hair, he, and then he goes down to the feet, and he goes to his right hand, and then he goes back to what comes out of his mouth. So he kind of goes from head to toe to kind of hand to mouth, and he's describing what he's seeing. But he says when he saw his head and his hair, he says it's white wool like snow. What's that? And he says his eyes were like a flame of fire. What's that mean? Well, we're going to go to the Old Testament for this. So when it says white wool like snow, it is associated with being sinless and pure in the Old Testament. So when you see white wool, like white, like white snow, it's associated with being sinless and pure. And I want to use one example, uh, Isaiah 1, verse 18. It says there, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, and scarlet is bright red with a tinge of orange in it, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they, your sins, are red like crimson, which is a bright red, they will be like white wool. So white wool like snow is contrasted with being, you know, um, being forgiven of our sins and being made you know, pure and righteous or, and even in God's eyes viewed as sinless. So white wool, like snow, is associated with being sinless and pure. Got it? Doesn't say that, does it? It just says white, like white wool. That's what it is associated with. It is also associated, here's, here's an interesting one, presiding as judge. Presiding as judge. And I want to go to our pretty much our go-to passage, which we've gone through several times in our study, Daniel 7. And this is the vision of the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father on the throne. Let's pick it up in verse 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his vesture, vesture is his garment, was like white snow. And his hair and his head were pure, like pure wool. There it is. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. Here it is. The court sat, and the books were opened. In this vision, the Father's garment were like white snow. And his hair and his head were like pure wool. You can even say pure white wool. So here it's associated with the father presiding as judge and rendering a verdict. Did you get that? The father is also likened to being white. You know, his garments were like white snow and his hair and his head were like pure white wool. And here these terms are associated with the father ruling and rendering a verdict from heaven. The court sat, and the books were opened. And I want to say this, and this is kind of a little side note. You know, kind of even, we can kind of relate on, uh, on the human side of things. You know how, if, you know, for those of us who have kids, your kids kind of resemble you? 
and you see you in your kids, and some of them, you don't even have to do anything, and you just see you come out sometimes. What's pretty cool is when Jesus and his head and his hair were like, were, were white, like white wool, like snow, he resembles his heavenly father. Pretty amazing. He looks just like his daddy. Now, let's look at when it says his eyes were like a flame of fire. I see it sounds just like apocalyptic poetry to me. Like, I mean, it could be subjective, right? Well, flame and fire is associated with judgment, wrath, and destruction. So when he's describing the glorified Son of Man with his eyes like, like a flame of fire, it's communicating the message that he's ready to come with judgment, wrath, and destruction. It's not good. You, don't, you do not want to stand before the glorified Son of Man with his eyes like a flame of fire to you. It's a warning. And here is where um, we, I got that from in Isaiah 10. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 16. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors. And under his glory, a fire will be kindled like a burning flame. And the light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden, both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away and the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. And I don't want to get too far ahead. But when we get to the trumpet judgments, you know, a third of the earth, here, when it says he, he's judging in the flames of fire at that point in time when the trumpets are being blown. But in this passage, burning flame, or it can also say a flame of fire, is associated with the glory of the Holy One Messiah who will come and bring destruction. Now, I don't know what Jesus you've heard. You've probably heard that Jesus loves you and that he has a wonderful plan for you. Something along those lines, and that's it. This Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire, and he's ready to bring judgment, wrath, and destruction. Were you taught that, Jesus? Or is he just this meek Savior with no mighty power or wrath at his disposal? His eyes were like a flame of fire. And again, this is the case in the Daniel 7 vision, like uh, Daniel 7 verse 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days, God the Father, took his seat. His vesture were like, was like white snow and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a blaze of flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Now, in the context of Daniel's vision here, the Antichrist is already on the scene at this point, the little horn. He's already on the scene by this point in the vision. And God the Father is ready to judge him and give Jesus and the saints the kingdom from heaven. So the throne being in flames and its wheels a burning fire or a river of fire coming out before him are indicative of judgment, 
wrath, and destruction. Here's a little side truth. Did you pick this up? It says, His throne, speaking of the Father's throne, was ablaze with flames. Its wheels, the throne has wheels, were a burning fire. Did you know that the Father's throne is mobile? I just, I just caught that. And it'll be mobile, and it'll ultimately come to earth. Exactly. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can also say, thy throne with thy wheels come. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. But we kind of get it. Here, the Father in this vision, the Antichrist is on the scene. He's already here. And he has a heavenly proceeding with uh, his vesture, his garments was like white snow. His head and his hair were like pure like white wool. He's ready to judge. And the fire that's associated with his throne is indicative. When you see the fire associated in Scripture tied to God, it is wrath, judgment, and destruction. You do not want to be under that fire. Lastly, and we we're familiar with this one, Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open up. What does it mean when it says his eyes were like a flaming fire, like a flame of fire? Here's another example. Remember John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He associates fire with impending judgment. Here, Matthew 3, beginning in verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, speaking of Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In this case, it's not fire of judgment. Um, at least for those who receive the tongues as a fire as it rested upon the, the believers during Pentecost. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the Pentecost that year, when the Holy Spirit arrived on the scene and manifested himself as tongues as of fire and rested on the believers there, the Jews who were there to witness it heard the believers there speaking in their native language or tongue. What were they doing? Proclaiming the excellencies of God, pretty much recalling what God has done, probably even went back to the, even the great Exodus and to, to Abraham and how God has been there and is faithful. The Jews who are witnessing those tongues as a fire, it's also a warning. You hear what's being communicated here? If you pretty much don't repent for killing Messiah. And instead, you know, if you repent and believe in Messiah, then you know, be made right with him. Otherwise, that Messiah whom you've rejected will judge you with unquenchable fire. Again, going back to this Jesus, I don't know what Jesus you're told, but this same Jesus throws people to hell. I know it's hard. This same loving Jesus who is Savior of the world, who offers salvation to all who would believe. For those who reject, He will put you with unquenchable fire into eternal judgment. That's who this Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He is 
the curios of his father. So here's the interpretation. Here, here's all that. Here's, here's what it means. When John sees Jesus' head and hair like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like you know, flame, a flame of fire, John is using, in this case, you know, we're, we're trying to read it from our English language, but John is using human language to describe the risen, righteous, pure, holy, one of the Father, and his attire is consistent with that of priest and judge, just like his heavenly Father, and he is ready to examine the seven churches and render a verdict from heaven through eyes of unquenchable fire. We're going to see what Jesus' examination of these seven churches are when we get to the letter to the seven churches. He says, this is what he sees, but yet I have this against you. And he goes, and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then I am about to come in judgment. He is ready to come and render a verdict as judge from heaven through eyes of unquenchable fire. So now let's look at his feet. So we've looked at his head and his hair. Let's look at his feet in verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. So we're going to break this up. We're going to look at when it says, he's now describing his feet were like burnished bronze. What's, what's that? Like made to glow in a furnace, we'll look at what does that mean? And then his voice was like the sound of many waters. What does that mean? Besides just sounding like fancy apocalyptic writing. So let's look at his feet were like burnished bronze. Now burnished bronze in Greek is chalcolibanon. And it means fine copper or, you know, bronze or brass. But this Greek word is a compound of two Greek words. Chalcos, which is where we get bronze or copper, But here's where there's an interesting kind of connection with this compound Greek word in uh, libanos. Libanos means frankincense, or even from a frankincense tree. And frankincense frankincense is a perfume and an incense. And we're familiar with the wise men who came to offer gifts. You know, um, when Jesus was born, one of them brought frankincense. But I want to take a look at Libanos or this frankincense and then look at it through the lens of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was an incense that had to continually be burned. And there was also in the law grain offerings that was prescribed that involved frankincense. But here's where frankincense, if you were to say, okay, what is this associated with? What's frankincense associated with in the Old Testament? Two things. A holy and memorial offering. That's what it's associated with. So frankincense in the Old Testament, in the burning of the incense, and when it comes to um, the grain offerings, it's a holy and a memorial offering. That's one. Here's another thing that's kind of interesting. Frankincense and, you know, the burning of it is also associated with God visiting. So when there's an incense burning with frankincense and whatever, whatever else was part of it, and that smoke is going up, that that is supposed to be kind of a, a representative or a picture that God is visiting his people. 
Frankincense is associated with a visit by God. So I want to look at a couple of examples of this in the law. Uh, in, in Exodus 30, so this is the instructions on the burning of the incense, and we'll pick it up in verse 34. See, when we get to the Old Testament, you know, this stuff used to bore me, you know, oh, especially when you get to Numbers, right? How many of us try to read from the law? <laughs> you know, read from you know, Genesis, you're good. Exodus, okay, you know, it's kind of thematic. Genesis, ex- Leviticus, like, oh. But there are, there are some things we can, we can learn from it, especially as we try to open up our understanding and revelation. But let's look at Exodus 30, verse 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, take for yourself spices, stacti, or it's an aromatic gum, and onicha, which is an ingredient of the holy incense, and galbanin, which is gum smelling resin, spices with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. With it, you shall make an incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it, you know, very fine, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. So in this burning of the incense, it's supposed to be reminding the people of Israel that God will meet with them. Because in that burning of that smoke, it shall be most holy to you. And we'll look at um, the burning of the frankincense in the grain offering. And we'll go to Leviticus 2. And we'll just read verses 1 through 3. Now, when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And he shall then bring it into Bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and shall take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil and of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire." Now, stay with me. Remember, we're looking at Jesus' feet were like burnished bronze. And burnished bronze, in the, it was a compound of two Greek words. And that second word, libanos, is tied to frankincense. And we're looking at, okay, what can we learn from what's associated with frankincense, at least in this case, in the law. And what we found is it is indicative of a visitation by God and being a holy and memorial offering. Got it? So, Here's the interpretation when it says his feet were like burnished bronze. When John describes Jesus' feet like burnished bronze, John is testifying to the effect that Jesus is a most holy and a perpetual memorial offering to God his Father and that this glorified Son of Man whose attire is consistent with that of priest and judge is ready to pay a visit to the seven churches and his people. So when it says his feet are like burnished bronze, he's an offering to his father, a perpetual offering, but also he is ready to pay a visit. That's what's behind the description of his feet were like burnished bronze. Are you ready to look at glow in the furnace? I know a lot of this is, it's a lot. Trust me, it's, it's, it, I, I, I get it. But there is, here's what I'm trying to make sure we get. It's not just fancy words on a page. 
It's describing the risen and glorified Son of Man. But it's also communicating he's ready to come as priest and as judge, and he's ready to pay a visit. But we don't get that by just reading it on the surface. So that's why we're trying to open up. And when we follow these practices, what we're trying to we're trying to really take this difficult book of Revelation and we're really trying to make sense of it using the scripture. And this is the best that we're, you know, we're coming up with. So just try to stay with me. Uh, let's look at glow in a furnace. What does it mean when it says it was his feet were like burnished bronze made to glow in a furnace? Glow is puro. And when you, when you see glow, it means to like ignite or kindle or set on fire. So if you, when it says made to glow, it's literally to fire it up, you know, fire up something. And furnace, in this case, is to fire up the furnace, is kaminos. And a furnace is a furnace for smol, uh, smelting metals and pottery. So, I mean, some of us have probably seen some videos you know, have you ever seen someone like melt, you know, let's say gold or steel or something? They do it through a, you know, a very hot furnace and you see how it comes out like bright red. And, but that is made, that is kindled and in the furnace is what is smelting those metals or even pottery. So in the Old Testament, here's what we got to get. Furnace, not surprisingly, is associated with judgment, God's presence, just like his feet is burnished bronze. But it's also associated with slavery. Did you, did you know that? Furnace, slavery, or there's an association. Testing, affliction, and refinement. And so I'm going to show you this. Here's a couple of examples in the Old Testament where furnace is associated with judgment. And I want to go to the Sodom and Gomorrah account in Genesis 19. We'll pick it up in verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the valley, of the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. So when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and burned by fire, Scripture describes the smoke and the destruction of that because it was just judged as smoke like a furnace. Let's look at now Malachi uh, 4. And this is a passage with you know, end times judgment in view. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all of the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So those examples, furnace is associated with judgment. And in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment already happened, right? And the smoke was rising up like the smoke of a furnace. Here is an example where furnace is associated with God's presence. And we'll look at the Mount Sinai account in Exodus 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. So burnished bronze and furnace are both associated with God's presence or God visiting in Depending on the context, could mean visiting to bring judgment. And here's where, you know, at least I, I've 
haven't associated this before, you know, coming up and preparing for this study. But furnace is also associated with slavery. In Deuteronomy 4.20, and here Moses is admonishing the Israelites to obey God's law. We'll pick it up. Uh, yeah, we'll just read verse 20. De- Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. So the Jews being enslaved by the Egyptians is likened to being in an iron furnace. So during the time the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, the scripture calls that they were in an iron furnace. And here is one final example of furnace being, you know, being associated with being refined through trials and affliction. And we'll read Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined you, Israel, but not as silver, and I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So as we can see, furnace has a lot of associations, and the context is going to tell you which one it is. But here, here it is, at least for our context. Here's the interpretation when it says that his feet were like burnished bronze and it was like made to glow in a furnace. Here's the interpretation. When John describes Jesus' feet like burnished bronze made to, flow, um, made to glow in a furnace, John is describing Jesus not only as a perpetual offering to his Father, but one who was ready to judge through trials, including slavery, imprisonment, and affliction, and you know, in this case, to refine the seven churches and his people. Interestingly enough, also, as we've kind of talked about you know, throughout our study, when we get to the great tribulation and how that is a, there is a trip, remember there was Ju- uh, Jerusalem's tribulation? There's different types of tribulation, but Jerusalem's tribulation includes them being desolate, but also being sold as slaves, made to glow in a furnace. Who renders that judgment? When Jerusalem's tribulation comes to pass, who was the one who authorized it? The one whose eyes were like a flame of fire because they refused to repent and believe in him, in turn, his feet is like burnished bronze made to glow in a furnace, and he's ready to judge, and if necessary, bring upon trials and affliction, and in that tribulation, Jerusalem's tribulation, to his people. Uh, but let's look at his voice, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up, okay? The sound of many waters, okay, let me ask you, what does that mean? Like, when, his voice was like the sound of many waters. Also, something that just sounds pretty neat. Sounds pretty cool. His voice was like the sound of many waters. Well, there is one Old Testament passage that pretty much is almost verbatim. And we'll see what that can tell us. Uh, so we'll, we'll look at Ezekiel 43. And we'll look at the first five verses. And this is the vision so Ezekiel, man, this was a long chapter um, and a long vision. But Ezekiel, he had this vision, and pretty much it was a vision of the glory of God filling the heavenly temple. This is what Ezekiel saw 
in his vision. And we'll pick it up at least in verse 1 through 5. Then he, and this is Ezekiel, he saw in his vision a man with a measuring rod, led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. So here's just by looking at that passage. When John describes Jesus' voice like the sound of many waters, he's also talking about, you know, there's allusions to Old Testament passages and prophecy. But here John is describing Jesus' voice to the glory of the God of Israel who is ready to come and pay a visit and bring destruction. So are you, are you kind of getting a sense here when John is describing this glorified Son of Man, it is in a very strong warning. It's not, he's not wooing them, okay? He's saying, this risen and glorified Son of Man, who was standing among the seven golden lampstands, who has this white robe going to his feet, a golden sash, his head and his hair were like white, like white wool, like snow. His feet were like burnished bronze. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. From what we've gathered from the Old Testament, it is a very, very solemn warning that if there isn't a repentance and a turning away and you know, leading to obedience and faith, there he is ready to come, priest and as judge, to render a verdict, and if necessary, bring judgment, including trials and affliction. It's a very, very sobering kind of vision. I was going to pull this all together at the end, but we will end it here in the interest of time. And we will pick it up in verse 16, when we'll get into, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Stick with us, please. We're going to go through a lot of this, but when we get to the end, that's my favorite part in the whole Bible, is the end. Thank you for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. Every verse, in fact, every word of revelation that we've studied so far continues to reveal incredible truths about Christ and his future coming. And as we heard today, the description the Apostle John provided is far more than just beautiful poetry. It has a deep and important meaning and really paints a striking and even fearsome picture of our Savior. Be sure to come back for part two of this message titled, The Glorified Son of Man. We really do hope that you're enjoying this study. If you are, please subscribe to Truth Matters Church on your favorite podcasting platform and be sure to like us on Sermon Audio. You can also support the ministry of Truth Matters Church with a gift of any amount at truthmatterschurch.org give. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This 
is Truth Matters Church.